0: Hi, welcome to True Creeps, where the stories are true and the creeps are real. We'll cover stories from grotesque gore to the possibly plausible paranormal, to horrifying history to tense and terrible true crime, and everything else that goes bump in the night. We're your hosts, Amanda, and I'm Lindsay, and we want you to join us while we creep. We cover mature topics. Listener discretion is advised. Hey, everybody. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Welcome back. We have missed you. We have. <laughs> Happy 2023. I was going to say 2022. Like, I don't even know what's happening anymore. Yeah. I The other day I was like looking up stuff for next year and I was like 2024. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> are you OK, Lindsay? Like, are you OK? And then I was like, no. 2022 was like two years in my head. So it's fine. Yeah. I ordered a planner Anyway, there was a personalization step. She's laughing because she's seen this already. But I was like, you know, like what I want my motto for this year to be is like to just get fucked. And so, like, I was like, personalization in a very cute little, like, cursive font. That's what I put. And then, like, a week and a half later, I got an email from the company being like, we don't do this. We don't print profanity. How dare you? I'm offended. Yeah. And I was like, okay. Okay, I get it. I understand. But like what was funny is like it's a very like polite and professional email and at the bottom she has the phrase that I put. So it's like we cannot do this. We're so sorry for the inconvenience. Please let us know what you would like to do. Um thank you. Period. And then right underneath it's like in quotes it says get fucked. And then it has their signature and I was like <laughs> just kiss. I love this so much. I died when he sent me that. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this is one of the funniest emails I've ever received ever. And so I was like, I don't need any personalization because I'm just going to do it myself. (laughs) I have a cricket. I can print it out on vinyl or just write it. We could do things. (laughs) Yeah. The motto will be get fucked for 2023. That's the vibe. It's just like, (laughs) get out of my face. Let me live my life. And just like breathe for a minute because I did too much working in 2022. So I want to like take a fucking moment. Everyone else can go get fucked. And I hear to say this lovingly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so. Well, we were supposed to be working for the past two-ish hours. And uh, instead, we planned vacations. Planned vacations. We looked at houses for Amanda. Yeah. She's going to be here soon to visit. So I can convince her to stay here mm-hmm. forever. <laughs> and ever. And ever. Um, But Yeah that's always our recording process. Because if we don't do it before we record, then we will do it while we record. And then our episodes, the editing process is like, this is a six hour edit, because we keep being like, Oh my god, by the way, I meant to tell you. By the way, did you see this cruise? Yes. Let's look at it together for 30 minutes during the recording. We've done similar things. We're like, we'll just cut it out. Like it's Like, it's not difficult, but it is time that it takes to do that. So we're like, we'll just get our bullshit out of the way before we begin. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Do you have a vibe for 2023 that you're going to put forth? I don't know. See, like already going into 2023 is a mess. (laughs) So we'll see. We'll see. Guys. Amanda's talked about like being cursed before, but like we said, like, okay, we're not gonna like do anything during December because we wanted it to be easier on like our lives. Yeah. And Amanda's life looked at her straight in the fucking eyes and said, fuck you. <laughs> and then she's had a really bad curse flare up. She's had a lot going on, but she is here smiling, living living her life. I'm here. I'm alive barely. I think that your motto for twenty twenty three should be no. Just no. No. Get out of the way. Just no, like no, and um, period, like a full statement. Not because or I don't know. Just no. Yeah, I'm not buying a calendar. Someone says, "How are you?" No, no planners, no calendars for me. Just no. <laughs> Just no. I will not be attending. It doesn't matter. Somebody starts to ask you a question. No, but I will be attending the ghost tour. Yeah, I will be there. Yeah, we haven't planned it yet. But we're going to do it. We will. We will. Will it be like an official True creep somewhere? where there's no strangers? I don't know. Will it be one where we've figured something out with someone? Who could say? You know, what, by the end of the tour, they will be True Creeps, though. Yes. I mean, for sure. For sure. <laughs> if if the people who aren't with like, say we have a group where there's some strangers, like, you know, when you go to a restaurant that has like a table. I'm thinking specifically Kobe. Where do you know what a Kobe is? Do you have those there? No. Okay, it's a hibachi restaurant where they cook in front of you, right? Okay, yeah. And there's 10 seats at the table. But if you don't come with a party of 10, they fill them in. Mm-hmm. So like, by the end of it, you are strangers who have shared a meal together. So you're like, you know that person a little bit, or you at least watched them eat. You know, I don't know. <laughs> it feels personal. My point is that these people will have bonded to us. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the ghosts will flock to us. Or they'll at the very least be very annoyed with us. We're going to have one come home with you. No, thank you. A ghost, not a human. <laughs> That's good, because it sounded like you were talking about kidnapping for a second. I was like, look at you, fresh to the state. <laughs> who, could, who could know? It's going to be a wild time. <laughs> whatever you need, Amanda. Not whatever you need, because I, I really would prefer not to kidnap anyone. <laughs> You know, we'll see where the night takes us. Oh, what a wild time promised by Amanda. <laughs> I absolutely tried to do a segue and it just became very weird so I was like chatting, chatting, chatting. Murder. So let's talk about something else for just a moment of time. Anything, really. You keep hitting your thing and I keep hearing it. I think I touched my wired once, but oh no. (laughs) If I've been touching my microphone, I'm sorry. It's been weeks. We don't know how to record anymore. I'm a novice again. I don't know how to do anything. Brand new. We're fresh. Just babes. Well, now that we got the happiness out of the way, let's talk about something tragic. Yes. So today we're going to talk about the murder of Brian Egg, as well as the odd series of events that took place between... The time he went missing and when his remains were ultimately found. Because it is very strange and odd. Yeah, I heard about this case a while back and I was like, but why? But how? And then I didn't have a a lot of time because we had so many other cases we were covering. And then during our break, I was like, it is time. It is time. I have to know what happened. And I'm still not happy about it. Well, and I think one of the things that's interesting about this case is that it touches on a lot of things that we've talked about and concerns that we've raised in the past. And we'll talk about it once we get there. But because the facts of the case aren't as much of a heavy lift, we were able to, like, go down some rabbit holes and look up some things, which we'll talk about later in the episode. But I, I thought they were really fascinating. And it was an interesting. We don't always have the time in episodes to go down so many rabbit holes or to be like, well, what about this? And what about that? And this time, I think we did. And mm-hmm. it was an interesting research. But so before yeah. we talk about what happened to Brian, let's talk about who he was. He was 65 years old when he disappeared from his home in San Francisco on Clara Street in the South of Market neighborhood. And he had been in this neighborhood for a very long time because he purchased the property in 1976. And he was described as an eccentric neighborhood curmudgeon, which I love that. I love that, <laughs> like am- amazing. He was born in San Francisco and grew up there. And he would walk his dog. Lucky in the neighborhood. I do want to say real quick, I tried to find any information on Lucky from after he disappeared, and I could not find any article, anything from his family, nothing about Lucky. So I'm still worried about Lucky. I'm hoping that Lucky's life was full and rich and ended at a time previous to this story. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed on that. So Brian also watered the plants and trees in the neighborhood, and he cleaned up the alleyway that was around his home. And he was known to invite people into his own personal backyard garden, which is very sweet. He was good friends with his neighbors and so good friends with them that they were the ones who originally were saying, hey, something's wrong here. We haven't seen him. Right. And I think there's something to be said about when you have lots of people who should be seeing and hearing from a person saying, hey, hey, where where is he? Yeah. This is weird. Something's wrong. But so one of his neighbors, Scott Free, he actually seems pretty cool. I was looking at his interviews, but I also stumbled upon his Facebook because of uh, GoFundMe he did later, and we'll talk about it. But he just seems like a really cool guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he actually rented a room from Brian at one point. Brian firmly worked as a bartender at a well known barn called The Stud. And he seemed like he was a Luddite. He didn't use a computer or cell phones. And he lived a pretty frugal life and would often go for the free lunch program at St. Anthony's Foundation. And this program served people experiencing homelessness in the Tenderloin neighborhood. And he was actually known for talking to the other men at that program and offering them a place to stay, which is incredibly kind. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about Brian's disappearance he was last seen in his neighborhood in either late May or early June of 2018. In June or July, Brian's brother, his name's Devin, he tried to call him and it went to an answering machine. And remember how we talked about he didn't really use technology all that much? So it was very strange that it went to an answering machine because he's never really been known to use one. And remember, it wasn't a cell phone either. So it was like a an answering machine someone had to set up, right? And like, imagine, right, the year is 2018 and you're like, now you're getting an answering machine? Right. Right. Now you do? Which to me, like, regardless of what is happening, is very bizarre. Let me get an answering machine. It is. It is. Do you know anyone with an answering machine, like an actual, tangible answering machine today? No. No. I also think that voicemails should be illegal. Just don't. Don't. Amanda's literally choking she took a sip when I said that <laughs> I'm gonna die. hold on I took a sip when you said that yes they should and I said it very seriously and like looked you right in your eyes I was like they should be illegal don't leave me a voicemail <laughs> Sorry, I was choking. We edited that out, but I was choked laughing. Oh no, I'm not editing that out. <laughs> I'm leaving that in. I've taken a sip of my coffee. It's my edit. I'm leaving it in. That's fuck. <laughs> That's you dying right now, live. Great. Live on True Creeps. Live on air. <laughs> um. <laughs> Jesus. We haven't recorded in a very long time. We're we're messy. Happy Happy 2023. We're messy. <laughs> we're messy. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, every time I get a voicemail, I just want to throw my phone. I'm like, I don't want to listen to this. Luckily, I have it where it just types it out for me. Oh, my God. When when that was invented as a thing, I was like, I'm going to find this person who invented this and kiss them on the mouth. Like, this is my favorite thing. (laughs) I love when it doesn't make sense. Yeah. It's not always great. And I also find it very fascinating that most of the time when it types my name out, it types out either Linda or Wendy, (laughs) which like it can't get my name right. I find very funny. But you know, such a unique name. I know, Lindsay, exotic. Never heard of before. Yeah. Ooh. (laughs) But I mean, I'll I will take this like bad transcription over having to listen to voicemails any day. Yeah. And an actual voicemail where you have to like, Record your message because at least like I've never record. I'm I'm over that. My Verizon's like leave a message or don't. I don't care. You know beep. <laughs> Please don't. No, that's what your that's what your outgoing voice message to me No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so yeah, I I know one person with an actual answering machine, and every time I get it, I'm like, why do they have this? But anyways, little tapes and everything. I don't know if it's a tape. I think they made them a little. Uh. A little more technological. There are, there have to be some that still have tapes. I'm sure there's some, but at least like they did make them a little bit better where it's not on a tape anymore. But yeah, so it was strange that he had an answering machine, but now it's going to get a lot more strange. Devin didn't recognize the voice on the machine. So imagine calling your brother and you're like, OK, there's answering machine. That's weird. But then it's like, wait a minute. That's not even his voice. So when also because he didn't have a cell phone, it's a landline. Mm hmm. So he's had this, I would imagine he had this number since he lived there for like over, what, 30 years? Yep. So bizarre. Very bizarre. So, you know, he's like, that's weird. So of course he calls back and someone named Nate answered. He told Devin that Brian would call him back after he was done walking the dog. So it didn't seem as strange in a way because, okay, he used to walk his dog all the time, but also like, Who the hell is Nate? Why is he in the house? And why is he answering the phone? But you know what, though? Like, being that we know that he has a history of letting people who he doesn't really know live with him. Say, for example, if I called my parents and someone answered the phone who I didn't know, I would, like, march my little self over there because that's bizarre. Yeah. But Brian wasn't. That wasn't Brian. Like he did have people who his brother wouldn't know at his house. So I wonder if like it was weird, but like it wasn't a I'm going to go there and find out what the fuck is going on kind of thing. It's still strange that they're answering the phone, though. You know, like you don't answer someone else's phone, but he might not have caller ID and they may he may, maybe he was waiting for a call. I'm like, maybe if it's somebody who's living there temporarily, they might be trying to get work or find another like more permanent living situation. That's true. Well, either way, Brian never returned the call. So then late in July of 2018, police started getting calls from neighbors suspecting that something might be wrong. And the police responded twice. Each time they knocked on the door, no one answered. So they're like, "Okay," and they left, which I get in a sense, at least here, like you knock on the door, no one answers. But also that doesn't help at all to know where he is if they're concerned with, I want to say they saw some people in the house and they didn't recognize them. So they're like, that's weird because normally we would see him, remember, gardening, cleaning up the alleyway, talking to his neighbors. He wasn't seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. On August 2nd of 2018, Scott made a post. So remember the neighbor, Scott Free, made a post on Nextdoor. And that's like a neighborhood app. And he was trying to alert the neighbors like, hey, something might be wrong. Other neighbors were also concerned. And it sounds like several people had also seen strangers coming in and out of Brian's home. Which, again, he invited some people sometimes, but it's just weird that they didn't see him. On August 4th, Brian's sister called the police because she also had not heard from him. The police came, left again when no one answered the door. So also around the 4th or the 5th, after that, you know, check-in that led nowhere, neighbors saw people inside the house start to frantically clean And the reason I say that is because it was so crazy of a clean. They were seeing soap suds coming from the home and they could smell the bleach around the front. Also, someone painted parts of the front and one of the doors, which is like, what are you trying to do if he's not home? Yeah. And then finally, on August 7th, Brian's sister filed a missing persons report. Also, while Brian was missing, Scott, who Amanda mentioned earlier, remembers calling and hearing that the outgoing voicemail said that Brian was on a vacation. Bizarre. Especially if he had like a backyard garden that was like nice enough where he was having people over, he would likely have someone want to tend to it. That just seems strange to me. Yeah. Just like when Devin called, the voice wasn't Brian's, so even stranger. And as we said before, Brian wasn't the biggest fan of technology. So even Scott was like, this is weird. Since when does he have a voicemail? And then why is it someone else? Yeah, right. Then on August 14th, again, Brian's neighbors called the police, but this time they had a different piece of information. They said that there appeared to be a crime scene cleanup company outside the home for an extended period of time. This is one of the the little rabbit holes that we're going to talk about later, because I know when I was reading that, I was looking at it. I was like, I feel like it would be just good business practices to verify that the police were finished collecting evidence before they would begin their remediation of the home. And so I had a series of questions of like, is there a duty to report can you just go in and clean up a crime scene? Are there serial killers out there who are just rich and just have a crime scene company come and deal with all of the waste? Right. We had a lot of questions. We'll get to them in a bit. We're going to talk about the rest of this case first. But if you're like, question mark, huh? We're going to get there. And to make it clear, the neighbors hadn't heard anything was actually wrong yet. So like, why was there a crime scene cleanup crew when nothing's going on with the case? Exactly. Yeah. Right. He's just a missing person. And that's it right now. Yeah. And so seeing this, so seeing the crime scene cleanup company van that got the police moving and they began to search Brian's home but that's, this didn't even happen till the day after. Right, they had to get a warrant because they had to get us they had to get a warrant. And I feel like before then, it makes sense that they wouldn't have been able to come into the house because not seeing your neighbor, you don't know that something suspicious has happened, right? Right. It could be that he just went on vacation and you didn't know about it. It could have been there could be a, mil- a million reasons why this would happen. Right, he's sick something. Yeah. And especially knowing that he was the type of person who let people stay with him. It's not strange that there were strangers in the house. It's just weird that Brian didn't seem to be there, too. Right. Right. And that's the kind of anomaly that that stands out to me, at least. They were able to get that search warrant because not only was there a suspicious odor, but there was also like a very noxious chemical smell from all the cleaning products. Like you could tell that there was intense cleaning that had occurred. So when they got into the home, there were two men living there, Lance Silva and Robert McCaffrey, and they had lived there for almost two months. Both of them were charged with homicide, identity theft, elder abuse, and financial crimes. And we're going to go into that more, but I want to back up just a little because on June 1st of 2018, court records show that a 2007 BMW was purchased for 5,500, by someone who identified themselves as Brian Egg from a dealership in Newark. And June 1st may have been when he, you know, was missing because the last time he was seen in his neighborhood was late May or early June. So that was suspicious. And to make it worse, a sales document was later found in the possession of Lance Silva, so one of the guys living in the home. The same car was later towed on June 15th for parking in a no stopping zone. And it was picked up later that day by two men. One identified themselves as Paul Foran, and the other was identified by surveillance video as Lance Silva. So that's weird. Yeah. Why would they be getting Brian's car? And I don't think, obviously, Brian didn't buy the car. Police continued to search the home after Silver and McCaffrey were arrested. And then, from what I read, four days later, as they're searching, in a storage room under the staircase and with the help of cadaver dogs, police found a fish tank that had a lot of chemicals and the torso of a beheaded body in it. Fuck. The body was also missing their hands. And so, of course, they did DNA samples and they took samples from Brian's family to identify the body. And it did end up being Brian. And I want to talk about why it took so long for them to find it because from what I understand, the fish tank was kind of hidden. It was behind a door that had been blocked by a picture. So can you imagine though going in a house where you're like, something smells weird, there's a lot of chemicals and not being able to find where it's coming from for four days. And we'll talk about more information about how the body was found, but it's just horrific. Yeah. So of course they did an autopsy and it later confirmed that Brian had died of blunt force trauma and And obviously he was murdered. What they wrote on there is, quote unquote, unspecified homicidal violence with blunt force trauma. In addition to that, two of Brian's ribs and one of his vertebrae showed signs of, quote unquote, fresh bone breaks. And the injuries were consistent with being struck in the chest, per the medical examiner. He went through a lot. It's so sad. This doesn't seem like a crime of opportunity. Like they just wanted his money, right? Like it seems a lot more gruesome, a lot more violent. And a lot more terrible. Yeah. I'm not saying that like killing someone for money isn't terrible. I'm saying that it just I would imagine that would be quick. And this doesn't feel like it was quick. Yeah. It doesn't seem quick. But then also they lived in his home for months. You know, like these people are there with the smell of a body. Exactly. Frantically cleaning for months. Like no regard for him at all. It's very sad. Yeah. So let's go back to the way that his body was found. Brian's remains were saturated in Drano, and investigators also saw several empty bottles of it around, from what I understand, the area that he was in. And so I was like, how do you get a body to fit in a fish tank? Because in my head, I just, I don't imagine a giant fish tank. So when I was researching, it looks like it was 18 inches wide by 28 high and 72 inches long. It's a fairly big tank, but also like, yeah, I mean, it's six feet long. That's pretty long. Yeah, but it still just seems really difficult to put a man in, you know? The liquid level was at the level of 24 inches. They also had a sawhorse covering the tank. And then when it was lifted up, that's when the human remains surfaced to the top. Truly horrific. That's why they beheaded him is to make him fit, I'd assume. And from what I saw, his remains still had a t-shirt and jeans on. And the jeans had some money inside. So they didn't like... It sounds like they just like maybe took his wallet. I don't know. They didn't really search him. Well, and to me, that still makes me think that it wasn't just for money because they would not have found cash on him, right? Like if you were going to murder someone for money or for fiscal gains in some way, even if it was just identity theft, the idea that you would leave any cash on a person is bizarre. Right. And I did see too that they found some bone fragments in a planter box in the backyard. So I'm wondering if that's where like Maybe the hands went. We didn't see any details on whether or not they ever found his head or his hands. But I mean, there were bone fragments, so I would assume maybe hands. But I feel like the skull, his head, where would that be? That was just very strange. It's not as though this is not reported on, but there's certainly not as much as you would think there would be. I find it very strange because clearly they had like cut up parts of his body, which is disgusting. And I don't know how you could do that to another human being. But why would they dispose of it in that particular way? This was a very gruesome murder, right? Gruesome. The whole area was nervous for a while. We're, we're going to talk about more details about the charges and stuff. But after about a year, no one talked about it again. Yeah. So McCaffrey and Silva, who, you know, we talked about how they were originally charged with murder, but things kind of turned. The San Francisco district attorney... Dropped all charges against both of them. The charges were dropped pending further investigation. According to the DA's office, the police have yet to present a case to them, which is wild to me. Yes, because we're not just talking like, OK, for murder. OK, I maybe there, all the evidence was destroyed, perhaps. But there's surveillance with him in the car. Right, right. So, McCaffrey was just freed, and then Silva was held in jail because of a parole violation, though. So, interesting. And I believe he was the one that they suspected was using Brian's debit card. So, Silva ultimately was released in April of 2019. So, they both got out. Brian's friend and neighbor, Scott, did an interview a year later, and it kind of made me sad. He was like, It appears they've gotten away with murder because no one is in jail currently. I just wish police were being more active with the investigation. Maybe they say they are. But it certainly doesn't appear that way to me. And unfortunately, like that is common when you and I discuss some of these cases. It's like it's hard to tell if anything's moving. So after all of this happened, Brian's family sold his home in May of 2019 after they weren't able to find a tenant to live in the property. It was sold for $1.5 million, which I mean, San Francisco, I know it's like. A lot, but oh my goodness, that's a lot, a lot for such a tiny place. Did you see how much he paid for it originally? No, I didn't. What was it? I want to think it was under 20000 that he originally bought it for. Ugh. Oh, yeah, he was there for a long time. And so when I was like looking at the property, I wanted to understand the layout a little bit more. I couldn't find a, too, too much on it. Mm-hmm. But Zillow does have a couple pictures of it, the front and everything. And if that's correct, it's only 800 square feet. So like, it's like a tiny apartment size. I know, like New York, San Francisco, everything's so like close together and tiny. But my goodness, 1.5 million for 800 square feet—that just blows my mind. Yeah, and from what I saw, the new owner was having trouble with like people sneaking into the home and living there. Still, were they living there? That happening? They were like squatters. No, but the owner wasn't living there at the time. No, no. Oh, my God. Could you imagine like you just wake up and someone's like, this is my room, motherfucker. Like, oh, my God. Right. Right. So the owner, he bought it with the intention of tearing it down and doing something else with it. And from what I saw, like during that time, though, the owner was having trouble with people breaking in and living there. So he tried boarding it up and like calling police and things like that. And he just couldn't keep the people out. So what he finally decided to do is to rent it to two men at like a low rent situation in exchange for keeping up with the home. Mm -hmm. But his intention, I couldn't find if he's even started anything with it, I think because of like COVID and all of that pushing everything back. Yeah. But he plans to demolish it to make room for a five story condominium project, which is wild. He bought it for 1.5 and then like for this tiny little space you know, making all this condo project is just, I can't wrap my head around it because everything here is so spaced out and like everything being so close together there. Oh yeah. But they're probably, if he's building up though. Yeah. 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 It's just, it's wild to me. So in August of 2020, Scott did a Facebook fundraiser and he wanted to plant a tree in Brian's honor. He also, again, discussed how there's no progress in the investigation And that police have seemingly given up on the case. I did see some pictures from his fundraiser. And it looks like he made like a little memorial for Brian. And that is still available up on Facebook. But it made me sad, like he misses his friend. From everything we could find, the investigation is still ongoing. And the last update said that they were following some good leads. But we didn't see that anything's happened yet. Which is wild to me. It really, really is wild. Yeah, it's very strange. And so, like Lindsay said at the beginning, this case is just very weird. There's a million questions that we both had. Like before we started recording, we're like, what about this? This seems weird. Why this? That led us to a couple different rabbit holes, if you will, because this case is just so weird. Yeah. One thing that I first looked at when I saw how the body was found is Drano. Because I'm like, what are they trying to do? Were they trying to do like Breaking Bad type situation in the fish tank, like hoping that the body would just dissolve away? And so I looked at Drano a little bit more. And I am on every list now, by the way. For sure. For sure. For sure. Yeah. But when I was looking at Drano, it has one of the ingredients is sodium hydroxide, which is caustic soda or lye. And I never really thought about what was in Trado, But do you remember when we last brought up caustic soda? I'm going to say yes, because I've seen the outline and it may remember it. But where, Amanda? (laughs) Leonardo Cianciulli, your favorite. I do love her. She is my favorite soap maker. I was like talking to a woman who makes soap and I was like, you can make soaps out of human bodies. And she looked at me like I was insane. Kindly. But like, oh. Well, because that's weird. That's a thing to say. And I was like... Tanchini, da, 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 da. And then she like backed away. She's like, OK, weirdo. And like left. She's like, mm, OK, <laughs> OK, just moved on. Is her shop next to yours? Did she move promptly? Well, she didn't move promptly, but she was like just a head nod. She's like, oh, you know my secrets. Uh oh. <laughs> yeah. But as a refresher, she uh, killed people and is said to have dissolved their bodies in caustic soda to make things like, you know, tea cakes and soap. We also had a lengthy discussion on what a tea cake was that episode and how to bake one. Yeah, delicious. This still grosses me out when we talk about it. So caustic soda, it is pretty common in a lot of household items. So it's its safe depending on what it's in. But in its pure form, and when a lot is used, that's when it becomes dangerous. And so I started to research like what would Drano do to a body? And it's pretty horrific because if you you know what Drano is, like you put it down your drain, if it's uh, clogged, it's supposed to get rid of those clogs. Well, there are cases that I saw as I was looking at it where people have taken sips of Drano because why would they? I don't know. Why? I don't know. It freaked me out. There's a few different ones that I saw, like in, some of them were like ER stories. You know, I don't know if you've ever watched some of those where it's like stories from the ER. And it's like all these horrific things are pulling like bugs out of people's ears and just crazy stuff. No, I, I can't handle that. Oh, yeah, it makes me very nervous. But I guess someone did in one case drink it. And what it does is it causes soft tissue injuries to the mouth and the stomach. It also dissolves parts like the esophagus, and it causes bleeds into the chest cavity. So it is very severe. And in a lot of cases, I saw it does kill someone. Or I did see one case too, where someone as like a child took a sip of it. And like, as an adult, there's still issues caused by that. I mean, that would make sense, though, because like, you're not meant to drink that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's so corrosive. As I was researching, I was seeing that a lot of plumbers online talk about how you should not use Drano on your pipes because it'll eat away even at your drainage system. And I know that one of the things that the plumbing company would ask when people had a clog was if they had used Drano because it was extremely dangerous for the plumbers because there had been instances where a person had gone out to fix insert plumbing area, whether it's your toilet or your bathroom drain or utility sink drain and they didn't tell the plumber that went out and when they had to open a section they burned themselves because there was so much drain out because the person had just kept pouring it and pouring it and pouring it thinking it was going to solve the problem and then there's like a bottle's worth of drainer that's just pouring onto someone's hand yikes that's bad when i was researching i of course we've already learned you don't want to drink it cuz it'll eat away your insides You don't want to use it ever. Like, why does it exist? Because it ruins everything in your house. Agreed. Well, then I did stumble upon a Reddit thread. Oh, no. Where it was talking about, could you use it to dissolve a body? And someone, it was like a very smart answer, but also terrifying at the same time because they had all like... The molecules and molecular structure of everything and like what it would take and why it really wouldn't work. And I was like, wow, that's a lot of chemistry. I don't know if this guy's right or if he's insane. So I called a chemistry teacher a friend of mine and I was like, hey, here's this thread. Is this accurate? Fair. And what I learned from both the thread and my friend is that Drano is not concentrated enough to actually dissolve a body. It would probably take off like layers, I guess is the best way to say it, and eat away at some parts, probably like the soft tissue like we talked about and things like that, but it would not fully dissolve. So my guess is what these people were doing is they continuously filled that tank with draino, hoping like more and more would go away, but it was just making this horrific, horrible crime scene, you know? Yeah. Overall, chemically, it just, it won't work unless there was like, a crazy amount of draino, And when I was like, how much draino?" Like the, the thread had so much draino, And the best way I could describe it is like maybe like an above ground pool of Drano might do it in a long time, if I understood correctly. Down this rabbit hole though, I learned a lot. Something that I'd never really thought about. And not until my chemistry teacher friend mentioned that maybe if you pressure cooked something in draino, perhaps it would work. Or like pressure cooked, because then it would like disintegrate whatever it may be. And in one article, I found that some universities use industrial digesters to dispose of cadavers that they use for like research and medical education, things like that. And the machine actually looks like a giant pressure cooker. It uses steam, right? I think so. Yeah, because you can't boil things to what it would need to be without it being a pressure cooker. Yes, Like because everything would just like turn to steam. What they do is they have like a giant pressure cooker and they mix 70 gallons of water and some lye in it. And then five to eight hours later, the body is pretty much liquefied. I guess they have to like, there's some bone pieces and like teeth and things like that, that they strain out. It was just horrific. And I was like, why do they need this? That made me really unsettled. And I was like, why do, why would they do this? And they're like, well, research. We'll also talk about other reasons in a moment because I have other reasons for you. Yeah. And so I was just like, I had to take a break. I was like, Lindsay, I just researched a lot of Drano. Good luck. And like, I had to walk away. Also, while looking through like dissolving a body, I found another thread and it made me terrified, nervous. Uh, this guy asked a very interesting question that made me want someone to check on him. Oh, no. There's a thread that I found where a guy said that a squirrel chewed through, you know, something a part of the barrel and got stuck in a big food grade barrel. I want to say he, he had like a farm or like a lot of land. And uh, he was looking for ways to dissolve the squirrel to get it out of the small hole. Because he's like, unless you like get it just right, you can't get it out from where it chewed in. And also it had sat for a while. So he's like, I want to be able to use my barrel, but there's a dead squirrel in it. How do I dissolve it? And I was like, what? And then people were like, oh, just do this. Just do this. This is cheap. Do this. And I'm like, oh, no. Maybe let's not tell people how to dissolve bodies in barrels. Let's not sure. Yeah, and they're like, the cheapest way would be this. And I was like, yikes. So another stressor for me, though, is he said it was a food grade barrel and he wanted to use it. So I was like, that led me to believe that he's going to liquefy the squirrel and then use his barrel again. Food grade barrel. Why not essence of liquefied squirrel? Oh, yeah. I was like, what a fucking time. That, that was enough internet for me that day. And I stopped. But with all of this in mind, I cannot even imagine how horrific Brian's crime scene was and just how sad. Very sadly and very horrifically, the things that were done to his body were things that would involve an immense amount of blood. Yes. There would have to be just an insane amount of blood because with limbs, your head, like it's, it's a lot. And so, yeah, we talked earlier about neighbors seeing a crime scene cleanup van parked outside of the house for an extended period of time. And one of the conversations Amanda and I have was like, what is happening there? Right. Surely crime scene cleanup companies communicate with law enforcement and get some sort of sign off before they begin their clean, Right. Like surely that happens. Yeah. Broadly, the Internet did not give an answer on that, which tells me, no, that there is no duty. Boy, did I go like deep into crime scene cleanup in California specifically because where we are. Mm-hmm. This is what we're going to talk about. To kind of like back up a little bit, the way that I framed this was like, who has a duty to report a crime? Because as a person who is intimately aware of evidence of a crime, to me, it would make sense that they would be part of the group of people who would be required to report. But they're not. And I find that fascinating. The only time I would be like, okay, that makes sense. Is, you know, when someone has a loved one pass at their home that they don't see all the time? Yes, that's called an unattended death cleanup. And that's a different type of cleanup service you can get. It can be done by the same company. And often companies will do like right traumatic scene cleanups, crime scene cleanup and unattended death. Could, they're going to be different, but they could also be very much the same because a person doesn't necessarily have to have died of natural causes just because they were the only person in the home. Well, what I had seen, and I obviously don't know who they hired, but this week as I was researching, I saw some stories of where loved ones have passed with animals in the home. Mm -hmm. And people did not know for a week or two. And so they've had to hire a company, but obviously there's different types to come and clean up the body because the animals had moved things around. Mm hmm. But that's much different than what the scene would have been for these people, obviously, because of how much blood you just mentioned. Yeah. So like backing into this question, right? Who has a duty to report a crime? Right. Like just like fully backing out. The short answer to who has that duty depends on where you are, what the crime is and what a person's involvement is. And so Brian was murdered in California, like we mentioned. So we're going to talk about laws in the United States. And so America, laws are from English laws, right? A lot of times they're rooted in those. And so beginning in English common law, a citizen could face criminal prosecution if they failed to report a crime. And this was called misprison of a felony. And throughout history, a person could be imprisoned merely for failing to report a felony. But this is pretty harsh. So lots of states today don't have a prison time as a penalty. And laws today typically require that the person who didn't report the crime also take an affirmative action to conceal the felony. And so, in California specifically, the duty to report is limited to violent crimes against kids who are younger than 14, which by the way, to me is disgusting because a 15-year-old is a child, a 16-year-old a, like up until 18 you are a child by the state. However, outside of 14-year-olds, if you are part of an original like crime scheme, you encourage the crime or if you helped in any way, then you could be on the hook for not reporting. And so this includes times when you're not physically present for the actual crime happening, but if you assisted before or after. And here I'm like, okay, would cleaning up the crime scene count? Right. I don't know. And so when you Google crime in quotes, by the way, this is my my search term. Yeah. Because I tried many searches because I had we had our section in our outline of like crime scene cleanup. And mm-hmm. I spent an hour researching and had nothing at first because I kept trying different like search queries to find exactly what I was looking for. So when you Google, quote, crime scene cleaner, quote, and then duty to report in quotes, there are exactly four hits. Two had to do with fictional cop shows, and the other two are the same article on different sites, but they're completely irrelevant because it's talking about coroners. Mm -hmm. And so I am not optimistic of, like, (laughs) what we're going to find, right? And so I learned more about crime scene cleanup than I ever really considered. There are ways in which the system should work so you should be able to trace back remains from a crime scene cleanup. But it's not because... They're trying to make sure that crime scene cleanup companies aren't helping serial killers. It's for a lot of different other reasons. So crime scene cleanup isn't federally regulated, but there are guidelines that exist that impact the industry. And they're from the Center for Disease Control, the CDC, the National Institute of Occupational Safety and Health, OSHA, Environmental Protection Agency, EPA, Department of Transportation, DOT, and other federal and state agencies. Most states do not require a formal education or even a certification to work as a crime scene cleaner. It's wild. And in California, the California Department of Health does require that crime scene cleanup companies have a trauma scene waste practitioner permit if they want to operate in California. And in that permit, it asks, you know, your standard questions like, who are you? What's your address? Whether you will be transporting the waste yourself or whether you'll be working with a third party company to transport the medical waste. And then if so, they want to have agreements between the transportation companies as well as the waste transfer stations or the waste treatment facilities. And we'll talk about them in a minute. But per the CDC and and OSHA, there are specific ways that biological materials need to be handled. And in all of the things that I thought about crime scene cleanup, one of the things that I never considered is what happens to that waste. I never considered it. Right. The area is clean. I don't I don't know if I assumed it went into a landfill, but it doesn't because there could be hazardous materials in there. There could be bloodborne pathogens. Right. Like medical waste. Yeah. Just like medical waste. You know, there's sharps containers so people don't prick themselves. But like if a person has an organ removed and they're not going to and they didn't consent to like donation or testing or anything like that, that will be disposed of. And like there's just like loose livers in the landfill. Hopefully. But there's a specific way that it needs to be handled. The CDC and OSHA have determined that if an area, an item, anything in a facility, place cannot be effectively disinfected, that it has to be removed. Only hard, non porous items can be effectively disinfected because there are not cleaners that will disinfect soft or porous things. Mm -hmm. So that means that, for example, and actually the CDC and OSHA have a very specific issued guideline. On bloody carpet. Oh. It must be treated as full medical waste. So it's regulated medical waste, which is like a special term of art. Regulated medical waste. It has to go in a red bag, Uh which is like an industry standard so that everybody has the same thing. Yes. If it is carpet, the bag has to be a textile specific bag so it could actually hold it. Yeah. Then that bag that is supposed to be strong enough for whatever is in there has to go into another container. By the way, the bag has to have a biohazard symbol on it. Right. Right. But so it goes into another container that's leak proof. And then that container is supposed to be labeled with where it's from, what the weight is and all these things. And there's going to be a specific chain of custody as it travels throughout the system. I mean that's good. Yeah, and so as the regulated medical waste transfers the chain of custody, there's supposed to be documents manifest. So it's again it's tracked. You should know where things come from, especially because say they find out later that this person has insert rare bloodborne pathogen, they need to know yeah who all touched it, where it came from, who could have possible exposure. And so I believe that the chain of kind of custody goes from either a facility that generates medical waste. As it's, you know, what it is. But here we're talking about a crime scene cleanup crew. And then either that company has transportation abilities of its own or they have a third party transporter that's regulated from the state. From there, it either goes to a transfer facility where it'll end up going to another facility to be held or destroyed or it will go directly to a medical waste treatment facility. Okay, And again... You have to be registered with the California Department of Medical Waste in order to be a transporter of regulated medical waste. And every quarter, all of these transporters have reporting that they have to do. And it includes the contact from whom they picked up the regulated medical waste, the business's name, their address, and the number of pounds of each type of waste that was transported. Okay. And interestingly, when you're looking at this sheet, it has traumatic scene waste and red bag waste separately. so. Interesting because there's some overlap there because we know that the carpet could, for example, be in a red bag. Right. The waste is ultimately stored or destroyed in accordance with federal or state laws at that medical waste treatment facility. And this is done by incineration or surprisingly, Amanda and I hadn't talked about the process earlier, autoclaving. And that's a method of sterilization that uses high pressure steam Mm -hmm. in order to destroy biological materials. So that same thing that you were talking about earlier that they're using with cadavers, they likely just have their destruction on site for ease. And there's a lot of different reasons to do that as well for like medical waste or I I don't know if you saw the articles recently. I've seen them all over social media, but I guess a bunch of eagles got sick at a landfill. Because some veterinarian did not follow proper protocol for euthanized animals, and the eagles ended up eating the euthanized animals and all getting sick and dying because this this process wasn't followed. And there's a lot of different reasons someone or something could pass, and then if something were to eat it... Yeah, they would also die. Exactly. I'm not a trash scientist. You don't want that seeping into the ground either, right? Whatever it is. And so failing to dispose of waste per federal and state regulations is a crime. And one of the things that I learned throughout this is that there's a very specific way that this needs to be done, including which type of chemicals can be used and should be used to clean up traumatic scenes. So one of the things that I thought was really interesting is that theoretically, If a crime scene company, cleanup company, did come, there should be a record of the waste that was removed from that property, right? And why they were there. I didn't say anything that said you had to explain yourself, right? Like, there was nothing that said that. But wouldn't it be obvious what they were picking up, though? Yes. But also keep in mind, like, maybe they used there. Maybe there was another creature on site that could have made that blood. If you're picking up what I'm putting down. Oh, yeah. Like, maybe they're saying that something else terrible happened, right? Or maybe... Maybe they said that, like, the investigation was already done. You don't know what that conversation was. Right. But one of the things that I thought was interesting is that it was readily accessible to find that reporting was required for companies that transport regulated medical waste. But I didn't see any reporting requirements for the people who actually clean up crime scenes. So, like, you have to apply for that permit to be a company. But I don't see anywhere where you have to say, like, here are the places that we cleaned. Especially for, I mean... For some things, I understand, right? Like, say, because these companies will often do multiple cleanups, like, they'll often deal with mold and like bad stuff like that, too, and like that kind of remediation. But if you're dealing with unattended deaths or traumatic scenes, it would just make sense to me that there would be some level of reporting structure there. And in addition, I didn't see, because I didn't see that, I don't know if there's any check system to say, like, okay, ABC company that cleans, right? I'm going to give you transporter. 50 pounds of waste. Yeah. And that their number would be checked against the transporter's number to verify that both match. Because theoretically, someone could just pay that transporter kind of like on the side to transport medical waste and they could just kind of like fudge their records and say, no, I actually picked up 75 pounds. Mm -hmm. Right. And it came from ABC Cleaning, even though they only gave them 50. And so I emailed the California Department of Health to ask whether there are any checks in place and whether there is any reporting that is required. I told them the context, too. We'll leave this part in if they don't answer. I am not optimistic that they will. (laughs) Maybe they will. (laughs) Maybe they will. Maybe they will and I'll take and I'll leave this part in and have a little postscript that says they responded, but I'm not optimistic. But I thought that the best person to ask would be them, right? Because they're the people who are regulating this. And so how good of a job are they are they like doing to make sure that these companies are not helping killers get away with crimes? So um, just interesting. Just interesting. Also, like, again, this comes up with a lot of a lot more questions, right? That we were asking each other of like, One, when they hired them, right? Remember, they were using Brian's finances. No, no, I hate this. Already can say say it, say it. Yeah, so we talked about this, but I forgot about it. They were using his finances and they were going to pay them for, my question is, what were they going to pay for? If they were pretending to be Brian, right? And they're like, come clean this up. Here's my card or here's the cash. You know, here's how I'm going to pay you. I'm just so confused on why. They were hired what they were actually there to clean up, because remember, they had already like repainted pieces of the door and things like that and like crazily cleaned the front area of the home so much so that people could smell the bleach, right? And the chemicals. Also, I go back to like, okay, what did they do? Did they like break in and kill him at the front door? Because I mean, that would make sense to me if they had to clean that area. This is just wild speculation, by the way. But then they move him down to this weird secret closet room. And, you know, do what they did. What were they there to clean up? Were they like, here's a fish tank of a person? No, I doubt that because then that would red flags. What was happening? They removed his hands. They removed his head. Yeah. Yeah. I think that they were there to clean up the blood. But the blood, they had already frantically cleaned up. Yeah, but at least the front area of it. I am assuming there's carpet there. Maybe. I think there was carpet and that that's what they got. Because I think... That would have been the hardest thing to clean. And also, I mean, like, look, if you are going to murder someone, it's not the worst idea to have a professional clean it. I'm just perplexed on why the company would actually do that. Mm -hmm. And like, shame on them. Right. Because look what happened because of it. Right. Right. And so I would imagine that they did a deeper clean. Because keep in mind, I can clean my house The average person does not know the protocols to completely remove blood from a scene or biological matter. You and I do not know how to do that, but they do. Yeah, And so I would imagine it was that. Like, they basically completely cleaned the crime scene up. So there was no evidence left. And I wonder if maybe they knew someone, you know, like they knew someone that worked at this place or knew someone that knew someone that were, you know, like some reason where the red flags weren't like super visible. Like, oh, they know this person so they're not murderers you know what what was happening well and that's what i'm saying is that like it could even be that what they knew the person that they knew was a transportation company and that they there was actually no one from this actual company inside cleaning up it was just someone picking up the waste itself maybe one of the things that i you know i've seen often talked about in relation to true crime cases is who pays for crime scene cleanups because we actually have a um disgusting amount of burden that is placed on victims in our country because if you think about most violent crimes right say you were stabbed while walking down the street the government does not pay for your medical bills to treat your stab wound you pay for that right isn't that wild yay here <laughs> <laughs> yay america what the fuck and you know in that same kind of like what the hell Generally, the person who owns the property or who is renting the property is responsible for that crime scene cleanup. So like someone who you love dies and you are on the hook to make sure that is cleaned up. I did not know this fact before researching is that some homeowner policies cover it? crime scene cleanup. Interesting. Which good, I guess. And in California specifically, there is the California Victim Compensation Board. And they will actually reimburse people who have had to pay for crime scene cleanup. But the maximum they will pay for is $1,709. So that's like the front porch. I doubt that goes a long way. Yeah. I'm like, I don't know how much it costs. But given like that there's such a like specific way things need to be handled, that would make me think that it would probably more be more than $1,700. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, think of like how many hours that takes, how many people probably, depending on the level of cleanup. Materials alone is going to be very expensive. So shifting from crime scene cleanup to kind of like case status, the literal, the section on our outline is, how the hell did they not get charged? Yeah. With anything. And we've really been trying to figure that out because it doesn't make sense. There's witnesses placing these people at Brian's house. There's surveillance of Silva with the car that they purchased. There's a man who clearly did not die of natural circumstances who was in between McCaffrey and Silva and the money that they possibly wanted. To press charges and proceed with the trial, the prosecution needs to be able to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that the defendants were the perpetrators. And I feel like there was a good case for that, just with the what we've talked about already. Mm-hmm. The only reason I can think to not press charges is that they had information that convinced the prosecution not depressed charges, whether that was information about this particular circumstance or whether they had information that led to the arrest and conviction of someone else. I'm not sure. Right. And I know that they mentioned, too, when they were talking about the car, that someone else was there. Mm -hmm. But then you never really hear his name come up again, Mm -hmm. which was very strange. And then also, I'm wondering, like, yes, maybe they were. I mean, even with the update, they said, oh, we have some leads, but you never hear who the leads are perhaps, I mean, we've seen this in cases too, perhaps their leads are already behind bars or already life in prison or, you know, a reason that they're not going to spend the money. Oh, yeah. Or they're dead. Or they're, they've passed. But you would think that the friends, the neighbors, the family, and things like that would have been told. And to my knowledge, the things that I have seen online, at least from the neighbors, are that nothing has come up. Well, like, I also, I don't think they would tell the neighbors, but I think they might tell the family. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe. And you would hope, though, like, Maybe. That the friends would find out through the family. I I don't know. Yeah, it's just it's hard and bizarre. It's very weird. And then I mean the other thing is like maybe these individuals knew the right people. And we've seen that with other cases where they have some sort of connection and things get lost or the actual evidence that puts them there is gone magically. Or, you know, whatever it may be. That's a little conspiracy theory there, but perhaps they knew the right people. Yeah, and like in this situation, it's hard for me to look at, like, what they did, both to his actual body, but also, like, the identity fraud, and, like, make it a reasonable response. It's not as though, like, you can look at this this situation and go, it sounds like self-defense, right? Like, how could, how do you get there? It's just really bizarre. Right. And we spent a lot of time looking to go, why, why? Like, just why? <laughs> why isn't this... Yeah. A thing. Why are people free that we're living in a home with a body, right? Like, yeah, that's pretty insane. And this is one of the I think one of the crazier ones that we've covered where we're like, why is there no arrest? What's going on? It's been years and we don't have answers to our many, many questions. Well, and one of the questions, another question that I did have was, have any other bodies been found in fish tanks? Mm -hmm. And I will tell you happily that I could not find any others. Thank goodness. Because I was, like, Googling it, and I was like, I really hope I don't find anything else. I hope this isn't a trend of things that happen. Right. So it's interesting, too, because there's just something about this. Some of the facts in the case and some of the things that we know, like, they add up strangely Yeah. to how this has all happened, and it feels like there's just more information here that we don't know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And as frustrating as that is, you know, sometimes... Releasing everything to the general populace isn't the best way to handle things. But it just feels like we only have like 70% of the story. Do you get that sense? I agree. And I I think that's why we have so many questions with this case, too, is because there is a whole missing piece and a little bit of like... I totally agree with you in the sense of like, we have too many questions. I mean, obviously, for open cases, we always have a lot of unanswered questions. But for this one in particular... There's some, in my head, background that I need to know. Background a little bit more into Brian's life and a little bit more into who got off the hook, their backgrounds, and if there's any other weird relation. Yeah, I couldn't find much on those men Mm -hmm. because I really did look and I just couldn't find anything else about them. As always, we want to know what you think. Did you already know all of this about crime scene cleanup because you are a crime scene cleanup person? Right. Oh, man. We want to hear from you, as always. But like, just interesting. Have you heard of this case? Are you also like perplexed on how this could happen? Yeah. And this is our first episode of the year. We have so many more to come. So many ideas and things that we're planning. Keep an eye out for our ghost tour that we're planning later this month. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, yes. It will likely have a limited amount of people they can go. So it'll be Patreon first. And then first come, first serve after that. We'll post the details. And then we also have our merch store. Head to our website to check that out. We have our Patreon still going. And of course, like Lindsay said, they'll get first dibs. So a lot planned this year. Oh, and also, we know last year we had it up just for our pod episode. But we now have a section on our website where you can submit your spooky, scary stories to share with us all year. Mm-hmm. And if it's relevant to something that we're talking about We'll bring it in. Otherwise, we'll throw it into their pod anniversary episode later this year. <laughs> also, while you're there, you can also send us ideas for episodes if you want to. Yeah. Or tag us in things. We love it. We love it. We do. Yeah. And there's also the Facebook Bat Bonfire that is open to everybody now. So feel free to join that. And if you're a Patreon, you have our Discord. Yeah. Where we're chitter-chattering all the time. Talk to us in a lot of different ways. A lot of methods. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Notice us. We're noticing you. She says creepily. Always, always. (laughs) We'll end with that. Happy New Year. Have a great weekend. Thanks for creeping with us. Thanks for listening. And as always, a special thank you to our patrons who support us via Patreon. Please see the link in our show notes to learn more about how you, yes, you, can begin to haunt the dump, guard vortexes, or even become a scorching Sasquatch. Also in our show notes, you can find the link to our website. More information on our sources, our social media handles, and our merch store. We'd love for you to keep creeping with us. So if you like this episode, please subscribe, rate, review, and share the show with your fellow creeps and or ghosts. I beg of you.